Jonah chapter 4. We're in Jonah chapter 4 as we continue in our sermon series that we have entitled Waves of Mercy, Depths of Grace. And as we've looked at the book of Jonah, we have seen that it is a great work of literature that has numerous plays on words. We'll see another one of those today. Uh, that he uses various rhetorical devices, that there's great structure and symmetry to the book. We've seen that chapter 1 and 3 both begin with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. Chapters 2, and as we'll see today at the beginning of chapter 4, both begin with Jonah praying back to God. And if you haven't been with us or you're like me and you just forget where we left off last week, at the end of chapter 3, there was a revival in Nineveh. Jonah went and he preached to the people there and they repented. They turned from their evil ways. They turned from the violence that they had been committing and uh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now, you would think that that's what every preacher wants, right? They come and they preach repentance and the people then repent and turn from their evil ways and turn from their violence. And so you would think that this book would end at the end of chapter 3 with something like, and then Jonah rejoiced greatly as he returned to his own country. But that's not the way this book ends. We've just seen this revival with great repentance at the preaching of Jonah, and here is how Jonah responds. Reading from Jonah chapter 4, I'm going to read the first five verses and I'll pray for us and we will dig in. Here is how Jonah responds to the revival that God sends through his preaching. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We're gathered here now in response to your call to worship and we have your book open. We pray that you would use it now to accomplish your purposes in the lives of your people. Be with us and help us to look at Jonah And see what it is that you have for us to learn from him. Help us to see you in these pages. That we would know you better. That we would be quicker to run to you as we see what you are like here. And I pray that during this time you would help us to look at our own hearts. And that we would learn the things you have for us to learn. Please come and do that now. Father I ask you to be willing to do it even through the sin stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. As we come to Jonah 4 today, I want to look at three things with you. I want to look at Jonah, I want to look at God, and then I want us to look at our own hearts. I want us to look at those three things together. So let's, let's do that now. Let's look, first look at Jonah. And if you really like irony, 
Man, there is some thick, rich layer upon layer of irony as we look here at Jonah. It's interesting to think to myself that he's writing this about himself, about his own life. And there's so much irony that he is so gracious to put in here. At the end of chapter 3, we see that God turned from his anger. And at the beginning of chapter 4, we see Jonah turning to his anger. It's ironic. At the end of chapter 2, with a voice of thanksgiving, Jonah has said, I will sacrifice to you. Remember, God has saved him from the storm. He was going to die drowning in the ocean, and God sent a great fish. And Jonah exclaimed, salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah was grateful about his salvation, even though he did not deserve it. But now, by chapter 4 and verse 1, Jonah is exceedingly displeased and angry when God gave salvation to Nineveh, even though they did not deserve it. More irony. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is kept from dying precisely because God is so gracious and merciful to Jonah. But now Jonah wants to die precisely because God is so gracious and merciful to Nineveh. It's not hard to see the inconsistencies here in Jonah, is it? In chapter 3, in verse 9, we saw that the king of Nineveh had said he didn't know God. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Here's somebody who doesn't know God, but he's turning toward God in hopes that God would be merciful. In chapter 4, in verse 2, Jonah says, Lord, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. There was no doubt in his mind. That's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach, because he knew God would probably forgive them. And so now he is angry that he knew what God was like. Now, we know a little bit more about why Jonah ran away. We speculated in chapter 1. But here he tells us explicitly that he knew God would probably forgive Nineveh. Now, a lot of folks talk about and ask the question, why does God's forgiveness anger Jonah so much? Why why is he so angry that revival has broken out and that God is not sending calamity or destruction on Nineveh? And there have been a lot of uh, theories that people have. Some folks look at this and they just very clearly say, The sin of Jonah is racism. Jonah's a Jewish man. He's been sent to this Assyrian group of people that Jonah elevates his race and his culture above that of Assyria and thinks that he is from a superior race. And so he thinks they ought to be saved by God and the Ninevites ought to be destroyed. Maybe that's what it is. He doesn't say explicitly in the text. Racism is certainly a sin. And it's wrong to elevate our race or our particular culture over another, to see it as superior. That's certainly wrong. Maybe that's what Jonah's sin was. He doesn't say that clearly in the text. So let's be careful. That might be the sin. It may not be. Some people look at it and say, well, the sin obviously is nationalism. And I I saw some really good sermons on nationalism from this text. And perhaps that's what it is. Jonah is from Israel. 
He certainly wants them to do well. He has served in the court of King Jeroboam II, we've seen in this sermon series. And the last prophecy he gave from the Lord, he prophesied that God would use King Jeroboam to, to shore up the border to the north and the west of Israel where Assyria was. And so the last time he was asked to prophesy, it was good news for his nation, for his country. And he was willing to do that and to bring that message. And then certainly when he's told to go and preach repentance to, to the Assyrians in Nineveh, he doesn't want to go. Maybe that's because he's elevating his own national interests above the interests of another nation. Certainly, as much as we love our country and want to do what's best for our country, our community, that love can be elevated to the point that it does become sinful when we elevate what's best for our community or our country over the kingdom of God. Nationalism can be a sin, absolutely. Is that the sin of Jonah? I don't know. He doesn't say this author is so good and his writing has been so excellent that I suspect if he wanted us to know what exactly was underneath his anger, he would have communicated it much more clearly than what we get here. I think he's intentionally vague about what is underneath his anger because he wants to appeal to a broader audience. He wants to, for now, let's just say that Jonah wants something different than what God wants. Or like we prayed in our confession of sin, that, that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But a lot of times we want our kingdom to be built and our will to be done. And we get angry with God when he doesn't do that, or depressed when God doesn't build things or the way that we think that he should or in the time that we think he should. Perhaps certainly that's going on here. Certainly the sin of thinking that we know better than what God knows. Certainly Jonah thought he knew what was better for the Assyrians or what was better for the Israelites and took matters into his own hands and went in a different direction than the way God had asked him to go. Certainly there's that sin of thinking that he knows better than God knows. But he doesn't say exactly what's underneath this anger. It's interesting, there's more irony in verse 4. When God said, do you do well to be angry? It's funny that having questioned God for God not being angry with Nineveh, Jonah is now questioned by God about his own anger. And notice in verse 5 that Jonah doesn't answer God's question initially. He's going to later in the text. We'll see in a moment. But he doesn't answer God. When God comes to him and says, do you do well to be angry? He just leaves and goes out of the city. He ignores God. He pouts. He goes out city, outside the city to watch and to see what happens. It says, we're told he built a booth, a crude shelter. Uh, the Israelites who had been reading this or are used to the Feast of the Tabernacles, they'd be familiar with this concept of building some booths. He must have gathered together uh, some kind of, of crude shelter. There's not a lot of vegetation in this part of the world. And so he was probably trying to create some shade. And he was able to put something together that wasn't all that great. We'll see in a moment. But what's going on here? Why is he out there just waiting and watching the city? Well, perhaps Jonah's thinking in chapter 3, if God had changed his mind about sending calamity on Nineveh, if that had happened, 
then we must have a category for God changes his mind sometimes, that he changes his mind on occasion. So perhaps God will change his mind again and destroy Nineveh. So he's going to sit and he's going to watch. Now there's some wordplay that goes on here that just deepens the irony. You don't see it in the English, but I want you to see it because once you realize it's going on, uh, it's very clever in the writing. You have to know that the same Hebrew word that means to be angry in verse 4 where God says, And the Lord said, Do you w- do well to be angry? That the same Hebrew word that means to be angry also means to be hot. That makes sense, right? Sometimes we say so he was really hot. When we're talking about he is angry or he was hot under the, col- under the collar. So when God responds to Jonah getting angry or getting hot, later on, as we read with a scorching heat, with a scorching east wind and the sun beating down on his head, it's as if God, it's, it's as if God is saying, okay, you want to get angry with me? You want to get hot with me? Okay, I'll let you get hot. How's this scorching east wind? How's the sun beating down on you? But God's not doing it in a, in a mean or a cruel or a vindictive way. In fact, let's turn now and let's look at what God is like. Let's, let's look at who God is and how he responds and what his motivation is in this situation. Let's look at verses 6 through 9 and see how God responds to this pouting of Jonah as he ignores God and doesn't answer him and goes out away from the city. Look at verses 6 through 9. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Oh my. Look at God here. Let's look at him and consider him for a moment. You do know, and certainly it's clear by now, that the hero of the book of Jonah is not Jonah. Right? The hero of the book of Jonah is God. We are supposed to read this account and say, oh my goodness, look how patient God is. Look how loving God is. Look how gracious God is. Think about it. In chapter 1, the book begins with God sending his word to Jonah, that he's going to speak to Jonah, that he's going to speak through Jonah, that he's giving Jonah a specific task in his grace, and his mercy. He allows Jonah to participate in what God is accomplishing in this world. And this prophet, this spokesman for God, this man of God, blatantly disobeys God. Runs in the opposite direction. Refuses to do what God has asked him to do. And God sends a wind. And God sends a storm. 
And when Jonah's thrown overboard and still has not repented, God sends a fish who swallows Jonah. And we saw in chapter 2 that God sends his salvation to Jonah, that he grants Jonah repentance, that Jonah turns to God and rejoices in God's salvation and is so thankful that God has saved him and is now willing to go to Nineveh. And in chapter 3, God sends his word again. God gives another chance to Jonah when he repents, even though he's been blatantly rebellious. And God works through Jonah and sends a revival and forgives these really, really bad people who are the Assyrians, who are awful, and we've looked at their atrocities at other times. And in chapter 4, Jonah admits God is gracious and merciful and that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that he relents from sending disaster. And after all that, Jonah is mad with God. He's angry with him. Jonah gives up on him, just goes outside the city ignoring him, really in rebellion again. But the good news of Jonah chapter 4 is this. Here's the good news of Jonah chapter 4. The good news is just because you get mad and give up on God does not mean that God gets mad and gives up on you. That's the good news of Jonah chapter 4. In verse 4, even this stubborn, rebellious Jonah, God comes and speaks to him. And asks him a question, do you do well to be angry? How gentle he is. I wish I spoke to my own children that kindly. God comes and is is kind and merciful and says, do you do well to be angry? Jonah ignores him, runs out and pouts. And God appointed a plant. Verse 6 tells us. Verse 7 tells us God appointed a worm. Verse 8 tells us God appointed a scorching east wind. Finally, because of the horrible situation that he's in, Jonah cries out to God. And God doesn't ignore him like Jonah has ignored God. Even after all this, God responds to Jonah. He answers Jonah. What is going on here with this plant and worm and wind? Well, in general, I think you have to say God keeps moving toward Jonah. He doesn't give up on Jonah. He keeps moving toward him, not in anger. But what's going on specifically? Well, here's what's going on. In verse 6, God appointed a plant to save Jonah from discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad about God providing something to relieve his discomfort. And in verse 7, God appoints a worm who attacks the plant and made it wither. What's going on? Well, the God who sends calamity and saves from calamity, the God who has salvation, who owns it, who it flows from him, God appoints a worm to attack the plant, to expose Jonah's devotion to his own comfort. And in verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. 
And the sun beat down on Jonah's head. Now, is God being mean to Jonah? Is he being spiteful and angry? No, not at all. God's not being mean to Jonah. He's turning Jonah back to himself. He's holding up a mirror showing that Jonah is devoted to his own comfort above all other things. It's interesting in verse 3, Jonah wanted to die because God did not destroy Nineveh. In verse 8, Jonah wants to die because God did destroy this plant. So Jonah has a problem when God destroys and when he doesn't destroy. Jonah thinks he knows better. Jonah has had it with God. One minute God destroys, the next minute God saves. One minute God brings discomfort. The next minute he brings comfort. Maybe you felt that way about God. Yes, God works that way. Sometimes he brings comfort and sometimes he brings discomfort. But not out of meanness or out of spite. He does so with me and with you and he does so with Jonah. To keep Jonah from trusting in things he should not trust in. And to turn Jonah back to himself. Now evidently Jonah saw the error of his ways and turned back. How do we know? Because he wrote the book. He wrote these things down. I would submit it would take somebody who's pretty mature spiritually to write down, oh my gosh, look at what a punk I was. Look at all this bad stuff. That's somebody who's turned from those things and is clinging to the grace of God. They're not looking to the opinions of people or the respect of people to be accepted. They've been accepted by God. Jonah writes the book and he writes it in this way because he has turned to God. And because he wants other people, people who are really, really bad like the Assyrians. People who claim to serve God like Jonah the prophet. He writes this book so that we would turn to God as well. Jonah ends with this question here. And he ends with a question in order to ask you what you will do, whether you will turn to God or whether you will continue to be angry. Look at this rhetorical device that he uses to make us think. It's a question God gives to Jonah. But it's a question God asks us today as well. Look at verses 10 and 11. The book ends with this. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And the book just ends. Jonah leaves it there with a question. Because he wants the reader to consider these things. Do you hear what God is saying to Jonah? Let's start there. God's saying, you pity the plant which you did not work to make grow and it only lived for a day. But you miss it and you're mad that it's gone because it gave you comfort. But you don't pity these other people 
who cause you discomfort, you just want them to be destroyed, and you're not happy that, that God was gracious or merciful to them. God is saying to Jonah, you, Jonah, are more devoted to your own comfort, to your own pleasure, to your own preferences, to your own will, than you are to mine, says God. You're more devoted to those things than you are to people who are lost. In verse 11, when God says they can't tell their right hand from their left, it's not that they don't know directions, they're spiritually lost. And Jonah cares more about a plant because it brings him comfort than these people who don't bring him comfort, who make him uncomfortable. Oh, Redeemer Church, I have to say, many of us like Jonah are more devoted to our own comfort, to our own pleasure, to our own preferences, to our own will, to our own timing for God's will. We care more about those things than we care about the kingdom of God. We care about more about those things than we care about people who are lost. There are very few times people are writing letters to the session or sending emails or texts about our failure to evangelize. Usually it's much more about our comfort. I want the thermostat set on this. We're not singing the song that I want to sing. We're not decorating the way I want to decorate. We're not doing the things that I want to do that bring me comfort, that bring me pleasure, that are about me. Listen, I want you to be happy in this place. But your comfort and your preferences are not the most important thing to God. There are people who are spiritually lost. Do you realize that much of what we do here is not even for your benefit? That's what's so difficult about this. Because you're the one that's here. You're the one that's speaking. You're the one who hopefully gives money that enables us to do these things. But much of what we do is not for you. It's for the advancement of the kingdom. And if you're going to be here and you're going to be happy, you need to realize that that's the way that life works in the church. Listen, if I got all my preferences, if it was about my comfort, we would do things much differently than what we do them. But it's not about me. It's not about you. Women of this church, let me say something to you. Many of you went to the retreat recently, and you came back just filled up. And you came back excited about the faithfulness of God because you heard testimony of God's faithfulness in the lives of the people that were around you. You were filled up with that. And I'm so glad that the retreat went well, and I'm so glad that you were blessed. Do you want that same blessing for other women? Do you want people who are spiritually lost to have that same blessing to see the faithfulness of God? Well, if so then we need to keep telling our stories. It's not just for one weekend at a retreat at Doublehead. Let's begin to tell about God's faithfulness. Like Jonah, 
This is a testimony. Jonah's saying, look at what a punk I am, and look how great God is. Turn to him. And that needs to be our story as well. Ladies, if you think I'm just picking on you, men, we got a retreat coming up too. Ooh, here it comes. And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to tell testimonies of God's faithfulness, and I'm praying even now that you are blessed by that that it warms your heart, that it renews the fire within you to serve the living God because he is so faithful and we forget that so many times. So we'll hear testimonies. We'll learn to give our own testimony. And one of my prayers about this is not just that you will come away filled up, but that you will come away with a yearning desire, a burden for people who are spiritually lost. That you'll be willing to tell your story about how you're a punk like Jonah is. And about how God is so gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love and quick to forgive people who turn to him. Oh, we see that God keeps pursuing Jonah. He does not give up on Jonah and God does not give up on you. God confronted Jonah here, and today, through his word, God confronts you as well. So let's just look at our heart. Let's take a moment to look at our heart and to be honest with ourselves. I thought we were looking at our heart. No, let's, let's push a little deeper and look at our own hearts. Like Jonah, what's underneath that anger? What is underneath there? You see, there's a warning here. If you profess to be a Christian, there is a warning in this book. And the warning is this, Jonah was a man of God. He was a prophet. He was a spokesman for God. He was somebody that God had used. He professed faith and he served God for years. But then after that service, Jonah is exposed as a self-righteous punk, as an inconsistent, fickle brat. And he turns to God in chapter 2, and then here we are in chapter 4. He's angry with God and pouting all over again. Listen to me. The lesson for us is this. You can walk with God for a long time. You can serve God for a long time, and you can still have a lot of work that God needs to do in your heart. There's a warning here for us from our brother Jonah. So let's listen to this question that God asks. Let's allow God to ask us, do you do well to be angry? Let me just ask you, what makes you angry? When do you get the most angry? Think about that this week. Ask God to show you that this week. And the reason I ask that is because God asks it in the text. But it's such a deep, provocative question because many times we're angry Because what we really want is being denied to us. It's being blocked from us. What we really want maybe is being threatened and so we get angry. And whatever you really want at the depths of your being, that is a rival God to the real God. And if the real God will give you this thing that you really want, then you will serve the real God. But if the real God will not give you what you really want, then you will abandon the real God. 
for your rival God. You'll be angry with him like we see Jonah here. You'll be pouty. You'll turn from him. You won't listen to him. You won't obey him. Listen to me. Your problem is that you have a rival God to the real God in your life. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're just using the real God to get what we really want. Isn't that what happened with Jonah? He served the real God until he had to make a choice between the real God and his rival God. He had prophesied. He got to give good news to his nation. The, the border is going to be secure. He gave that message without hesitation. But then God says, go preach to the Ninevites, and he runs the other way, whether it's racism or nationalism or whatever it is. When his rival God conflicted with the real God, he disobeyed the real God. And in chapter 2, he's so grateful to be saved by God. But by chapter 4, he's angry with God, empowering with God. But listen, here's the good news for Jonah and for you. God loves Jonah too much to give up on him. And he loves you too much to give up on you. We love to say here that God loves broken and messed up people, that God uses broken and messed up people to accomplish his purposes, that God accepts broken and messed up people. But I also want you to hear that God loves you too much to leave you in your brokenness and in your mess. Some of us are not angry with God, we're just depressed. Like Jonah, we feel like we have no real reason to live. Nothing sounds good to us. Nothing tastes good to us. If you're depressed or down, ask yourself, is there something too important to me? Is there something I'm telling myself that I have to have? Is that why I'm so down? Because I've lost or failed at something that I think I have to have in my life. Whatever that thing is, that something could be your rival God to the real God. But here's the thing about the real God. We see it very clearly in the text. The real God often takes away our comforts to show us what we really rely on. What we really trust in. What we've really given our lives to. And he does that so we can turn from that thing, from the rival God, to the real God. I've heard sermons before, I've read devotions before, where the story's told of a lumberjack who arrived one morning on a piece of land that it was his job to clear. Every tree was to come down. And just as he was about to take down the first tree, he noticed a bird that had begun a nest in the tree. Not wanting to see the bird come to harm, he took the side of his axe and he hit the tree, shaking the tree until the bird flew off to the next tree. Of course, that tree was coming down as well. So the lumberjack followed the bird from tree to tree, making each tree where the bird settled shake. Finally, the bird flew off and began building her nest on the side of the cliff on a rock. Now, let me ask you, was that lumberjack being mean or gracious? 
and merciful. I'm sure the bird was annoyed, maybe even angry. I guess there are such things as angry birds if you play the game online. I'm sure the bird was even angry at the lumberjack, but his refusal to let her rest until she was genuinely safe was gracious and merciful and not mean. You see the application, don't you? You've been mad with God. Or you've been depressed about what he's taking away. When God has just been shaking your tree so that you don't invest in things you should not invest in. Because God often takes away our comfort to show us what we really rely on, what we really trust in, what we've really given our lives to. Not just what we profess on Sundays, but what our functional God is. Oh, friends, I call you. Look at your own heart. Ask yourself, what makes you angry? What makes you depressed? Allow those things to reveal what you are really trusting in. So you can turn from those things and build your life on the rock, the only real God, the only one who brings comfort, the only one who brings real security, the only one who brings real acceptance. Learn from looking at Jonah. That's why he wrote all this down. Not just to entertain you, but to teach you and to lead you to look at the living God. Look at your own heart to see where you're not trusting in him and then turn to God. Let me pray for us and ask God to help us do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for documenting all these things about Jonah instead of writing down all the yuckiness in my own heart for everybody to read. But Father, if that brings you great honor and glory, then I pray that you would reveal those things. Father, reveal those things to us. Help us to see how we trust in other things and rely on other things instead of you. Father, if we're honest, we're angry or we're depressed because we've just been trying to use you to get what we really want. Help us to really bend the knee to you this day. Help us to turn from these other things that we want more in order to serve the living God, in order to rest in you, the only one who can bring real comfort and security and acceptance and significance and love. Oh, the irony that we turned to other things that cannot satisfy when you are right before us. Draw us to yourself, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.